0: Welcome into the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Kane, and thank you for joining me on this week's episode of the Friday Show, or make that the Saturday Show. Before the Christmas break started, I sat down with Allison Lucan, who is a contributing writer for The Athletic Cleveland, where she writes about the Blue Jackets and Ohio State's men's and women's hockey teams. With the Blackhawks facing the Blue Jackets on Sunday for the final time this season, I thought it would be a great time to have her on the show to give some insight into Columbus, but also about her story and how she got involved in analytics and how she incorporates them into the writing that she does for The Athletic. I really enjoyed talking to Allison, and I hope you enjoy listening. So let's toss it over to the interview now. All right, Allison, um, thanks for joining the show and agreeing to come
1: on. Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm just honored to be invited. Happy to join.
0: Yeah, so um, you cover the Blue Jackets, and the Blackhawks and Blue Jackets play uh, the second game after the Christmas break. So um, we'll start there and then we'll work our way toward kind of your introduction into hockey and what you do um, that makes your coverage unique. Okay. What has been, I guess, the difference from last season's Blue Jackets team to this season's?
1: (laughs) Oh, you haven't heard. No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, No, obviously, um, the Blue Jackets had the much uh, ballyhooed trade deadline with all the acquisitions and um, those players all left. And then of course they lost their longstanding um, two time Besna winning goaltender and Sergei Bobrovsky and, and a huge offensive talent um, which Chicago knows as well um, in Artemi Panarin. And I think that the differences um, in terms of what this team is are, are a little bit different than maybe what people who don't follow the team are. The offense has taken a hit for sure, but um, by most accounts, it's really a lot of bad luck and not purely the loss of Panera. And that's certainly not to discount how talented he was, but uh, they've been kind of snake bit until recently. And the goaltending has also been somewhat of a pleasant surprise um, with Eunice Corposalo stepping up. That's not who Chicago saw last game. Um, Corposalo though is the starter and he's been playing quite well And on the positive side, this has turned out to be uh, one of the best defenses in the league, at least currently, in terms of how well they've been able to suppress opponents um, in terms of not just shot volume, but shot quality. So they're different than last year. There still are some struggles. Of course, I'm not saying this is a Stanley Cup contending team, um, but they definitely do look different um, in all three of the main areas of the game this year.
0: When you bring up, uh, you know, Having a good defense, that's something that, uh, you know, people who watch the Blackhawks don't see a lot. Um, <laughs> so what what does uh, Columbus do so well on defense that, that makes their unit um, so good overall to lighten the load for um, their new goaltenders, I guess? And is there anything that you think could translate for Chicago?
1: Yeah, I think that um, the, the one thing that maybe can't um, as directly is that Columbus is – is very lucky to have two just really, really talented players in terms of Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. Um, These two guys are really special, um, such that John Tortorella doesn't even call them defensemen. He calls them rovers um, in that they have the green light to basically play all over the ice. So this is a very offensively-minded back end, and I think that's part of what underlies all of this defensive success is that the mindset is not just stop the puck. The mindset is get the puck and go the other direction, um, if that makes sense. So um, they're keeping teams to the outside. They're challenging teams higher. The other big part of what the Blue Jackets do, and it's part of what actually helped them beat Tampa Bay in the playoffs last year, is they have a very, very, very aggressive forecheck um, that mimics the way that their penalty kill plays, which is just real. it's a one-two-two, two, um, meaning they attack in layers um, through the three zones and just really make it difficult for offenses to get going and push, again, the puck the other way as quickly as possible versus waiting for play to happen in that defensive zone and have battles go on there. So um, there's a talent piece to this, but there's also a systems piece to this, that has come honestly has surpassed uh, what I expected they would do this year.
0: So you get to watch a power kill night in and night out. How much I fun do. is that? I do.
1: Oh, it's it's <laughs> great. We actually uh, it was fun. That's a as, as I'm sure you know, Mike Mike Fail, uh coined that term last year, and um, we wrote about that going into the playoffs as one of the keys to success against Tampa Bay, and and it was in fact and. Um, I was actually talking with uh, one of the Blue Jackets assistant coaches today about the penalty kill and talking about how it really is a power kill. And it's so much more about offense than defense, really, in a way. And, and that energizes the players, too. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool to watch that penalty kill when it's firing on all cylinders.
0: So is that something that players and the coaching staff like, really take pride in and embrace?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I was um, talking to even last year, the guys really, particularly if you're a John Tortorella team, and, and I'm not in the kind of stereotypes that, that people think, but this is a hardworking blue collar team. This isn't a super, super high skilled offensive team. So they take pride in grinding it out. They have players like Boone Jenner, Nick Felino who love that style of play. And so for these kind of guys to stymie an opponent's power play is very, very motivating. And then, again, as I said, that mindset of not only are we going to stop you, but if we have an opportunity, we're going to jump and we're going to go the other way. Um, Nick Felino basically said directly that. I'm going to have a piece on this um, in the next week or so just about how this team attacks penalty killing. I had Nick Felino saying power kill by the end of our, our talk there together. There you go. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very, very motivating to them, and it's also motivating to their teammates who maybe aren't even on the penalty kill um, to see that kind of just – shutting down an opponent's power play and seeing their team take the the steam or the power, if you will, out of an opponent is really motivating up and down the bench, which I think is pretty cool.
0: So you mentioned, uh, John Tortorella there. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you. So I have to ask you, do you have like a, a tort story that's fun and like off the wall?
1: <laughs> well, um, I feel like everyone has to have one, right? Well, you know, it, it I mean, define off the wall, I guess. Let me ask you that.
0: <laughs> um, not like a heated exchange, but like, he says something that's a bit like out of the blue. You wouldn't expect from a a head coach.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, that that is actually perfect because um, it, you know, and I say this every time someone asks, John Tortorella certainly comes by his reputation honestly, and he knows that. Um, but he is, I think, on a bit of a, a redemption tour himself in Columbus, and has has really worked against the reputation. He for me, working with him day in and day out, he's not the guy you see on the YouTube videos. Um, What has surprised me the most is that uh, this is a guy who, while he may not use the terms and may publicly um, poo-poo quote-unquote analytics, um, he's actually one of the most progressive coaches in that kind of thinking in the league. Um, In his year off between Vancouver and Columbus, he and Mike Sullivan, who's of course now with Pittsburgh, actually sat down and kind of came up with the idea of scoring chances. Um, And they tracked scoring chances across the league. He is one of the first coaches, um, soon to be followed by Mike Sullivan, of course, to start talking about the value of scoring chances over shots in terms of evaluating offensive play and, quote unquote, who should win the game. Um, I talked about how he's activated his defense, another really progressive thing. He's really progressive in terms of the penalty kill um, and really progressive even in things like pulling goaltenders. And he'll talk about, oh, I read a study about this and I like this. Um, so I think that's what surprised me the most, whether or not he refers to terms that maybe some of the analytics community is using, he is paying attention to those concepts and implementing them. And I think that's a really impressive, um, sign from a coach who's been around this game a long time and and is definitely old school in a lot of ways, but to see him grow with the game and be progressive in the game, um is quite fun for me and, and it's also just, that that would be my kind of wow moment with him. <laughs> they happen from time to time now.
0: Okay. Um, has he said any like, reason why he decided to adapt and be more open to new concepts?
1: Um, that's a great question. I actually um, will have to, I've never asked him that directly, but he does say things like he knows the game is changing. And he knows that he has to change with it and pay attention not just to how the game is played, but the kind of player that comes through the league. And I think that it's the the personal development that really motivates him. He really enjoys working with younger players and and helping mold them into what it takes to really fight for a championship. And so I think that if that's what he loves, he's a smart enough guy to say, if I want to keep having the opportunity to do that, I have to be open to the new direction that, that things are going and, and he's proven to be so more or less um, so far. All right. That's cool.
0: Um, and then speaking of analytics, we'll focus more to you. Um, how did you get into analytics? And I guess, what was your um, reasoning to shift that and mold it into your writing?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a funny story. Actually. Um, I was w- at a hockey game with some friends and my husband and, we were looking up at the a play happened on the ice and, and I looked up to the shot counter and I kept watching for it to tick one more and it didn't. And I said to my husband, I said, well, aren't they going to add the shot? And he goes, well, that's not a shot. And we got into the specifics of what's a shot on goal. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. I said, an event, something happened. Like that's a thing that happened that, that shows who's taking action in the game. And it's, it's a demand on the goaltender. And both teams had to react to that. Why it why is it not reflected in the basic stats of the game? I, I grew up kind of following hockey, but mostly following football. And so I was always the person focused on defensive stats in football. Cause I thought that was just as important as offensive stats. So I was really annoyed <laughs> that I didn't feel like the stats that were being presented were accurately capturing an understanding of the game. And that was right around the time that work was being done on Corsi um, or shot attempts as they're now called. And, it just really appealed to me because it answered the questions that I was asking um, that shots on goal for me wasn't answering. And from there I just kind of dove into that whole world and decided to, to follow it. I like learning new things. I like seeing new and different ways to, to answer questions about the game. I think there's still so much we can't answer. And so I think looking at those problems and finding ways to answer them is that's really invigorating, and I think it's really cool because what I like to do is take these concepts and talk to coaches and players about them in a real world way. I don't walk into a locker room and say, "Hey, John uh, Tortorella, your team's Corsi is da 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 da." You know, we'll talk about possession and does does the quality of a shot matter? Does the way that you enter the zone matter? Um, does a breakout matter, and why? Does a does a pass that leads to a shot is there value in looking at those kind of passes? These are the kind of conversations we have, and I think that validates what stats hold water um, to the people who are actually working in the game. And, and those are the that's the way I like to explore um, analytics in hockey.
0: So I'm guessing you probably receive some pushback from people who um, either don't understand analytics or just kind of brush it off to the side. Um, how do you deal with that and use it more as like a, a teaching moment for people who aren't as, um, I guess, receptive to analytics.
1: <laughs> it's such, this is a great question. Um, and it's funny that you ask it now because it's been an interesting week. I, I definitely get pushback, um, which is really funny to me about, you know, why don't you just watch the game? Because, um, for people who follow me on Twitter, I post gifs during games. So I'm clearly watching the game <laughs> while it's happening. Um, but yeah, I think people get a lot of push give give a lot of pushback. Um, I find that frustrating because I really try and tell everyone if you are interested and have questions, um, to always ask. But uh, where I'm going lately, when people push back, is there have been a couple key things that have happened in hockey games um, for the Blue Jackets specifically in the past couple weeks, where. A group of people, sometimes myself included, will be talking about the play after. And we all do this, right? Like, hey, remember when so-and-so had that breakaway and you're talking about the play? And because I do like to incorporate video into my work, I went and looked for the video based on what we all talked about. Um, One was based on the time of a play and the other was based on the type of a play. And when I went and finally found the plays in the video, they were nothing like how any of us remembered them. Like to the point that they were in completely different periods or (laughs) the play went from being this like two on O odd man rush to literally like two guys entering zone with control against two defenders who were back in the zone. And to me, that was a real, like I kind of knew this, but it really kind of crystallized it that, you know what, eye test is super important. I'm not saying it isn't, but our eyes lie to us too. Um, We remember things differently. We don't always remember every single detail. And what better reason to have a check and a balance for both data to validate the eye test and the eye test to validate data to make sure we're getting it right? Because I don't think either one nails it 100%. Um,
0: and then along with the work that you do, you also cover Ohio State men's and women's hockey. How have you seen the advanced stats um, incorporated into the, ho- the college game?
1: Yeah, if anyone thinks I don't watch the game, then they they don't pay attention (laughs) to college hockey because below the NHL, hockey is just really starved, at least publicly, um, for analytical data. You can't even get time on ice stats even in the AHL. That's something that doesn't happen. Um, So you really have to pay attention to the game, and and for that reason, I like it. Um, I like that it keeps me honest in terms of am I interpreting events when I don't have the data to fall back on to tell me what, you know, what really happened. Um, And it's, it's a slower game too, which I think is, is great because it's a way for people to come to the game if they're not familiar with it. But I do think it's a shame too, because particularly in the women's game, because we don't have a lot of stats and because these women are still fighting to get more eyes and more attention for their game, so much of what's happening and so many of the accomplishments that these great women players are, are performing on the ice and over their careers just gets lost because we're, we're, we're literally not even capturing the data across all the leagues the same way, let alone getting into advanced stats.
0: What do you think needs to be done to make those resources more available in the women's game?
1: Yeah. I mean, and we're just talking about college. I think, I think that the lower levels across the board um, whether it's a men's or a women's team um, it's a question. Of course, it always comes down to money um, and investing in systems that can track these games. There are some very affordable systems. Um, Ohio state women use iceberg um, which is a a, a camera based uh, data tracking system. And I think they charge them a, a relatively low fee per game to capture data So I think that if conferences, um, as in, you know, Big Ten or what have you, would say, you know, we're all going to support this and invest in this as a conference so that we can get conference-wide data, or even some of these companies like Iceberg could make a concerted league-wide or sport-wide push to to really help grow the game in terms of data, I think that would help. Um, There's just not as much demand for it yet, unfortunately, and I think for men, because they go on to higher levels where the data exists, there isn't as much importance at the college level because it's kind of like, oh, that'll just come later. We don't worry about it now. But uh, I would love to see people say this is a priority and and we're going to make a financial investment and or we're going to help um, pay for these services for our league or for our schools um, to get a framework in place so that everyone would start using it more.
0: It makes sense to me. You just have like the trickle down effect. If a if a conference buys in, then the teams will probably follow in.
1: Exactly. Hopefully. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So we'll do we'll do some fun rapid fire questions. I did these with Scott Powers in the summer, and um, he said he listened back to it and he was like, I don't, I didn't realize I answered it like that. And I was like, Well,
1: <laughs> I was like,
0: it, we got a good reception, so we'll see. Okay. Um, so if you could change one thing in the NHL, what would it be? Very broad question, but.
1: I would have, oh boy, if I could change one thing in the NA, anything, anything at all.
0: It can be schedule, you know, a ruling or stat wise or, you know, what have you.
1: I would make it illegal to have a hit to the head, period.
0: I can subscribe to that.
1: That's what I would do. (laughs) With with diversity in, in front offices being a close second.
0: Okay. Um, do you travel for games?
1: Um, I travel for some. I don't travel okay. for all of them, yes.
0: What's been the best city that you've traveled to, and is it because of the food?
1: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, the best city I've traveled to so, – so the trick is, too, is that when you're traveling for hockey, you don't really get to enjoy the city much because you're going to a skate – Um, and or a practice, and then there's a game, and then nine times out of 10, you're off to the next city. Um, So you don't get to enjoy the city as much. I'm trying to think about, you you know where I actually really enjoyed? um, I really enjoyed Calgary, Um, and that is, in fact, because of the food. Um, They have this cool little street that I am forgetting the name, and I'm sure any Flames folks will be mad at me, that they built um, the year of their cup run that has awesome restaurants on it. And I also just, we went right after the Saddle Dome had been um, recovered after all the flooding. And so it was just um, kind of neat to be in, I know that they want a new arena, but it was kind of neat to be in an older arena that has the history to it and they have a really unique build to their arena. So I just like the whole setup of, of seeing a game there as well.
0: Calgary has like the dangling press box of doom, right?
1: They do, they do. And they also have that like, you come in on the main level And so you walk down into the bowl. So um, I just thought that was pretty cool. I mean, it's not the only arena that does that, but I thought that was pretty cool too.
0: All right. It's kind of shaped like a Pringle too.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's totally, that's exactly right. It's totally shaped like a Pringle. Yes.
0: Um, And then, you know, of your time interviewing um, players that have come through the Blue Jackets, who's the best quote?
1: The best quote... Um, let's see. Well, I, I, I will give you a couple. Um, I really like Josh Anderson, um, because he will like share a lot of, um, he'll go into like systems stuff with me and really talk hockey with me. I think Seth Jones is in there too. Um, Thomas Vanek doesn't give an F. Um, so he just tells you like it is, which I always really appreciated when he was there. Um, and then a new guy who, is also just really an intriguing personality is um, the new young goaltender Elvis Merzlikens. He's just a very um, thoughtful individual and in meaning in that he like thinks about things a lot. So he gives some really interesting answers to questions.
0: All right. And then one last one, you cover the blue jackets, you're at blue jackets, home games. Do you still get scared or jump when the cannon goes off?
1: <laughs> so here's the funny thing. I don't even hear it anymore. Like, I'm so used to it that I, like, I only pay attention to it when some of our, our beloved visiting media come and they're like tweeting about it or talking about it a lot because then I'm watching for their reaction. But it, So it fires when the team takes the ice at the start of the game. It fires after a goal, and it fires at the end of the game if the team wins. So at each of those moments, I'm usually pretty actively working, and, and I literally don't even hear it anymore. I hate to say <laughs>
0: I thought you were going to be like yeah I jump every time kind of deal but
1: well and the little known fact is that so the the fire doesn't actually come from the cannon like it blows a puff of smoke but the concussion comes from the roof of the arena so that's where the sound the concussion is is made which is right above the press box so it's even louder up there um which is why it's so horrible for visiting media and visiting teams um who are up there with their front office staff but uh yeah I guess I'm just on I guess I'm just used to it now. It's been a long time.
0: <laughs> I feel like the home media should like do like a, a buck buy-in pool and like pick a, an opposing team reporter and see like, Oh, like I pick them to jump first.
1: <laughs> we had a, uh, a, a reporter who I shall not name because they elected not to do this um, would in fact video for a while. There was one area that was specific to visiting media and this reporter would video the visiting media's reaction to the game opening canon. And I wanted this person to like post them with like star ratings, like three star jump, five star jump. <laughs> um, but, the, but the person chose not to and chose not to make the videos public. But, but I was all about it. I thought that would have been fantastic.
0: I feel like everyone on Twitter would absolutely love that.
1: I know. <laughs> Especially
0: See? if you could like, you know, kind of identify who it was. <laughs> I feel like each fan base would just. Eat
1: it up. Well, maybe we'll have to see if we can bring it back.
0: All right, Allison. So, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, Where can people find your work?
1: Yeah. So you can find uh, me on Twitter at Allison L. That's A L I -S S O N L. And you can find me at The Athletic. You can search for my name, Allison Lucan, or you can go to the Blue Jackets page or the City page for Cleveland, and that's where you'll find everything I write.
0: All right. Thanks for joining me.
1: Thanks so much. This was awesome.